and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to go over the political satire film from 1999, Dick, also known as Dick, the Unmaking of a President, or in Germany, it was released as Ich liebe Dick, which I think is kind of funny. And so this movie is pretty much a comedic reimagining of what happened at uh, the Watergate break-ins of... Um, in 1970s USA. And then it's also a parody of All the President's Men, which was a movie that came out in 1976 that covered um, the Watergate break-in and how the Washington Post broke the story about what actually really happened at Watergate um, and how Woodward and Bernstein, two of their reporters, were able to help crack this story. And so... I'm going to give you a few figures about this film, and then we're going to move into critical response, some uh, pull quotes that I got. Then we'll move into a little bit of a history lesson, and then a plot summary. So, um, a little bit about this movie. This was released, the premiere was July 23rd, 1999, and the U.S. theatrical release of the movie was August 4th, 1999. The budget of this movie was about $13 million, and unfortunately, it was an overall box office gross of $6.2 million. So it's not exactly great when you're looking at um, return on the investment, but I do think that this film is, like, deeply funny on a certain level. Um, we're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 71% on the tomato meter, and then 53% of an audience score. We're looking at 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, and a letterbox score of 3.4 out of 5. So, this movie, I believe, was shot around spring of 1998, and my figure for that is, I was actually watching it with the Blu-ray commentary track, which had the director, Andrew Fleming, and then the co-writer of this film, um, he and Cheryl Longin, wrote this film. And they were talking about how a certain event happened um, in Hollywood uh, during the shooting of a certain scene of this film and how that event affected some people on on the set. Um, and that particular event happened in spring of 1998. That'll make way more sense later on in the podcast uh, when I talk about that. But... That's where I get the figure of when this was um, filmed. This was filmed partly in D.C., Washington, D.C., and then partly, mostly, really, was in Canada for those tax benefits. Um, this also then puts Kirsten Dunst at age 16 and Michelle Williams at about age 17 at the time, uh, which I think is cool because these two girls are playing 15-year-olds, and so they stayed pretty age-appropriate for um, the for the roles that they were having. Uh, so now we're going to move into some critical response poll quotes from some critics at the time. We have Chuck Rudolph of the Matinee Magazine saying, The movie quickly thunders downhill like a massive boulder, effectively trampling things like common sense, taste, and most importantly, historical significance. We got Robert Payne from Real.com, who said the thing Dick resembles most is a wildly uneven Saturday Night Live skit. And then we have Barbara Schulgeiser from the Chicago Tribune saying the movie has the comedic sophistication of a creaky high school skit. 
So that is what we're looking at in terms of the um, reviewers at the time. But I personally think this movie is funny. It's currently on Hulu right now. It was on Tubi at one point. I actually first found it on Pluto TV. I will say I don't always like you using Pluto TV because there's a little too many ads for me. And I think Tubi really is that girl where you have a nice, cute little uh countdown of when the ad break is going to happen and all of that. So I personally am a Tubi stan. Uh, but again, I think this movie is really fun. Um, it's kind of silly humor, but it's a nice satire of what was going on at that time. It also kind of talks a little, it's a little bit of a satire and a comment of what was going on at the time this was released. And I'll get to that later. So before we hop into the plot summary of this movie, Dick, I wanted to give some context about what exactly the Watergate scandal was in American history, and then also a little bit about who Woodward and Bernstein are, in case people who are listening may not know about it. So I went on my trusty phone on Google and found uh, a history.com article uh, that pretty much talks about the Watergate scandal, and I'm literally reading it verbatim off my phone, so... Again, I wanted to make sure we got this information first um, so that we can kind of contextualize what this movie is all about and then also just a little bit of a history lesson. So let's get started. So the origins of the Watergate break-in lay in the hostile political climate of the time. So in 1972, when Republican President Richard Nixon was running for re-election, the United States was embroiled in the middle of the Vietnam War, and because of this, the country was deeply divided on whether or not we should have gone to war at all. And so a forceful presidential campaign seemed like a great idea to the president and his aides at the time. However, there aggressive tactics included what turned out to be illegal espionage. So in May of 1972, as evidence would later show, members of Nixon's committee to reelect the president, also known as Creep, broke into the Democratic National Committee's Watergate headquarters, they stole copies of top-secret documents, and they bugged the office phones. And also keeping in mind that Watergate also had apartment buildings as well. Um, so, for example, uh, Monica Lewinsky, uh, who was an intern that was embroiled in a scandal in the 90s at the White House with Bill Clinton, she lived at the Watergate when she was working there. So people would live there um, and do all sorts of kind of stuff. So the wiretaps, though, failed to work properly. So on June 17th, 1972, a group of five burglars returned to the Watergate building. As these prowlers were preparing to break into the office with a new microphone, a security guard noticed that someone had taped over several of the building's door locks. The guard called the police, and then the police came and arrived just in time to catch the burglars red-handed. It wasn't immediately clear, though, that the burglars were actually connected to the president, though suspicions were raised when these um, detectives found copies of the re-election committee's White House phone numbers um, among the burglars' belongings. And so then in August of 1972, Nixon gave a speech in which he said that none of his White House staff was a involved in this break-in. Most people believed him, and then in November of 1972, the president... Um, was re-elected by a landslide. Now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Nixon's obstruction of justice. So it then later came to light that Nixon was not being truthful. So, for example, a few days after the break-in, um, he arranged to provide hundreds of thousands of dollars in quote-unquote hush money to the burglars. 
And then Nixon and his aides hatched a plan to instruct the Central Intelligence Agency, also known as the CIA, to impede the FBI's investigation of the crime. So this was a more serious crime than the actual break-in. This was an abuse of presidential power and a deliberate obstruction of justice. And so meanwhile, seven conspirators were indicted on charges related to this Watergate scandal, this affair, and that at the urging of Nixon's aides, five pled guilty to avoid trial, and the other two were convicted in January of 1973. So now we'll learn a little bit about who Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were. Um, so these guys were Washington Post reporters. Uh, there's also a trial judge named John J. Sirica, and members of a Senate investigating committee had begun to suspect that there was a larger scheme of foot going on. Um, and at the same time, some of these conspirators who had to have pled guilty and everything were cracking under the pressure of this cover-up. And so anyway, they also had an anonymous whistleblower by the name of, quote-unquote, Deep Throat, who was providing key information to Woodward and Bernstein. But we wouldn't find out the actual identity of Deep Throat until literally around 2005 or so, something like that. A handful of his aides, including White House um, counsel John Dean, testified before a grand jury about the president's crimes. They also testified that Nixon had secretly taped every conversation that took place in the Oval Office. And if prosecutors could get their hands on these tapes, they would have proof of the president's guilt. But Nixon struggled to protect those tapes during the summer and fall of 1973. His lawyers argued that the president's executive privilege allowed him to keep the tapes to himself, but Judge Sirica, that Senate committee, and an independent special prosecutor named Archibald Cox were all determined to obtain these tapes. So now we're going to get into a little something called the Saturday Night Massacre. So when Archie Cox refused to stop demanding for these tapes, Nixon ordered that he be fired, which then led to several Justice Department officials to resign in protest. And so these events, which took place on October 20th, 1973, were known as the quote-unquote Saturday Night Massacre. Eventually, Nixon agreed to surrender some, but not all, of those tapes. Early in 1974, the cover-up and the efforts to impede the Watergate investigation began to unravel. So on March 1st, 1974, a grand jury appointed by a new special prosecutor indicted seven of Nixon's former aides on various charges related to this Watergate scandal. So the jury, unsure if they could actually indict a sitting president, called Nixon an unindicated co-conspirator. And in July, the Supreme Court ordered Nixon to turn over the tapes, and while the president dragged his feet, the House Judiciary Committee voted to impeach Nixon for obstruction of justice, abuse of power, criminal cover-up, and several violations of the Constitution. And then we get to Nixon resigning. So finally, on August 5th, 1974, Nixon released the tapes, which proved, without a doubt, of his complicity in the Watergate crimes. So in the face of almost certain impeachment by Congress, Nixon resigned in disgrace on August 8th, 1974, and left office the following day. Six weeks later, after Vice President Gerald Ford was sworn in as the president, he pardoned Nixon for any crimes that he had committed while he was in office. But some of Nixon's aides weren't so lucky. They were convicted of very serious offenses, and they were sent to federal prison. Some of these include Nixon's Attorney General of the United States, John Mitchell, who served 19 months for his role in the scandal, while Watergate mastermind G. Gordon Liddy, a former FBI agent, served four and a half years. 
Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, spent 19 months in prison, while John Ehrlichman spent 18 months for attempting to cover up the break-in. But Nixon himself never admitted to any criminal wrongdoing, although he did acknowledge that he used poor judgment. So, because of this abuse of presidential power, this had a long-lasting effect on just American political life. It created an atmosphere of cynicism and distrust among the American people. So while many Americans were deeply dismayed by the outcome of the Vietnam War, they were saddened by assassinations of Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and other leaders like that, Watergate added further disappointment to a national climate that was already soured by the difficulties and the losses of the previous decade. So when we're looking at this movie, Dick, that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're looking at. Um, So it does contextualize a little bit about what this movie is. So let's get on to a plot summary. So we open on a television interview um, that is conducted by just the quote-unquote interviewer uh, with uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. Bob Woodward is played by Will Ferrell, and Carl Bernstein is played by Bruce McCullough. Will Ferrell at this time had been known for being in Night at the Roxbury and also as a cast member on SNL. And Bruce McCullough had been known for being uh, in The Kids in the Hall, which was a Canadian Uh, or still is a Canadian uh, comedy troupe, where there's a few other um, kids in the hall in this movie as well. The interviewer of this television interview is played by French Stewart, who by this time was known for being on Third Rock from the Sun with a baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and also Kirsten Johnson. So... It's been years since we've known who Deep Throat is. We still don't know. Um, Watergate's this big deal. And French Stewart it pretty much says, like, I don't think there was any Deep Throat. And you can see Carl and uh, you see Woodward and Bernstein kind of, like, get all flustered. And um, talk about, don't tell him, don't tell him. Because they're just too embarrassed that, like, Deep Throat actually ended up being two teenage girls um, in this movie. And then they just, like, start to fight and stuff. And then um, I think Woodward says, you smell like cabbage to Bernstein or something. It's really wild and silly. Um, So then you move from this uh, scene to an opening of a typewriter, and you see the typewriter um, typing, and you hear uh, Kirsten Dunst say, oh, shoot. And so you get the uh, opening credits of this movie, and you can see that uh, Kirsten Dunst is typing at this typewriter while... um, so her name's Betsy Jobes. You can see Betsy uh, typing at this typewriter while her friend, Arlene Lorenzo, played by Michelle Williams, uh, is talking about why she should have a date with Bobby Sherman, because they're entering, or at least Arlene's entering, the Win a Date with Bobby Sherman contest. And she's, you know, uh, Betsy's typing away, and um, Arlene's like, I think I could type a little faster than you, though. Um, While in the meantime of this, uh, you also see, because Arlene, uh, they're in Arlene's room, they... She lives at the Watergate, and you see, as part of this, you see also across the street from the Watergate, uh, a stakeout going on about what's going on with with Watergate and the break-in. Um... And so you see these guys just, like, spying on these girls in their room, pretty much. Um, So then they're, you know, trying to get everything together so that the break-in can go, you know, without a hitch and all that. So the girls, Betsy and Arlene, they're getting their stuff together to um, get the letter to win a date with Bobby Sherman into the mailbox by a certain time. So 
uh, Beth, uh, Arlene has this ingenious idea that, oh, I'm going to um, tape the lock of this door so that, you know, nobody will tell my mom that we're, like, sneaking out to go do this because they could get in trouble. And so uh, they go to the mailbox and they put in their Bobby Sherman date letter <laughs> and they're coming back um, into the Watergate. Um which by this time they had evaded the security guard um, that they called Fat Freddy. And um, they evaded him, and they're walking back up the little, like, I don't know, parking garage stairs or something like that, uh, back up to where Arlene lives at the Watergate. And they run into none other than G. Gordon Liddy, played by Mr. Burns himself, Harry Shearer, um, from The Simpsons, uh, most well-known for that at this time, probably. Um, and G. Gordon Liddy finds these girls, and I think it's really funny. There's a line in there where, um, what is it? It's uh, Betsy saying something about jewel thieves, because they thought that there was, like, this jewel heist going on. It's really silly. Um, but G. Gordon Liddy finds these girls, and he's wondering who they are, and, like, you know, uh, by the time... You know, you have this, it could be the Soviet Union of America or something like that, he says. And then Betsy and Arlene just scream and run away. And that's how they deal with it. And then when they get back up to Arlene's apartment, they see that the police have already actually stopped by and they were arresting the quote-unquote jewel thieves. Um, to what they think it happened. You then go into another scene with Betsy and Arlene with their classmates and they're going to the White House. Um, and you find out about they're going to go on a class trip to McDonald's after they're done their trip, which is nice. So some fun little facts about this particular um, part of the movie, this first part of the movie. The opening scene with French Stewart and Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough, that was actually added in afterward, after principal uh, photography, because what that was supposed to do is, is explaining about Watergate for people who didn't know about it. Um, it gives them a little bit of context of what exactly the movie's about. Um, uh, the line about, um, I think it was Bernstein spelling like cabbage, that comes from a Kids in the Hall reference. Um, I didn't watch Kids in the Hall or anything. It was before my time a little bit. But um, that was specifically from a, a character that Bruce had done on that show. And so it was kind of a fun little Easter egg, if you will. The typewriter scene that has the opening sequence, the opening title sequence, is literally referencing All the President's Men, because that's how the All the President's Men movie opens, uh, with a typewriter. The director actually used action shots at Watergate, so they were actually shooting stuff where Watergate was. They were shooting... Um, you know, in exteriors of this, um, but they were pretty much, I guess, following, I think they were actually following the All the President's Men, how they kind of handled it, um, because the scenes look kind of similar to how the break-in looked. Um, like, when I was just watching it recently, I was like, oh, this is, this very much looks like Dick, um, but which, which is the reference, you know. And then the score of this movie uh, was created to kind of uh, mimic like a 70s movie. I think um, Andrew Fleming said something about how he wanted this to like feel kind of like a Haley Mills movie, uh, which I think is really funny. Like he just wanted it to feel like, I don't know, the original like Pollyanna or like he wanted the music to really feel like you were in a, a movie from the 70s, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, and then the fun fact uh, was that uh, the exterior of the White House that you see when the class is standing in line, that's actually a model. Um, 
it was not the real White House, um, of course. And those White House exteriors were actually shot in Toronto. They were using, like, part of a parking lot at the Toronto Zoo or something like that um, to shoot those particular, um, those particular scenes. So that's a little bit of fun facts for that. And then also kind of another fun thing, and we'll get into it, but when we get into the White House uh, interiors, the crew and the director and all that had took a public tour and also a private tour of the White House for research. So they literally went through to kind of see what the layout of the White House was so that they could mimic it in this movie. We have the girls in the White House interior. They meet G. Gordon Liddy, um, which they, they had just met him like the night before or something. And uh, they thought that he was the guy who sold corn dogs at the mall. But he's just weirder than the guy who sells corn dogs, though. Um, and then on the floor, because they saw that um, this list was actually on G. Gordon Lee's shoe, um, but it was the creep list. And the creep list was the committee to reelect the president. Um, and But this list actually was uh, names and amounts of money that the committee was paid off, pretty much. Uh, but get into that later. My little history lesson talked about that. And then the girls meet, um, they end up uh, meeting Haldeman because uh, Haldeman goes up and introduces himself to them. And he asks, like, do you want to see the West Wing of the, um, of the White House? And they're like, yeah, sure. And so this is all a way for him to get them into a little, like, conference room area to be like, you know, when you think of your president, do you think un unpure thoughts? Do you think bad thoughts? Uh, and H.R. Haldeman is played by Dave Foley, who at this time, uh, he was a kid in the hall, but he was also on um, mainly uh, he was playing on uh, news radio at the time. He played Dave Nelson on there. He voiced the main character Flick in A Bug's Life. And he's just had like a nice career. Um, but that was him. And so, yeah, H.R. Haldeman's talking to them. And he's just like, oh my god, these girls are so dumb. Um, and they're not a threat to national security, apparently. Uh, which I thought was kind of funny. And then um, the girls actually meet Richard Nixon, who he asks them to call him Dick. Um, and they see the dog, uh, Checkers. And Checkers... Um, so Arlene does this like weird little dog whistle um, to get Checker's attention so that he comes into the room that Haldeman had them in. And then that's what gets Dick's attention to come over and actually like meet these girls. He goes over to Haldeman and is like, who are these girls? And he's just like, I've met yams with more going on upstairs than these two. Um, but then Richard Nixon's like, well, I have a way with teenagers and, you know, all that. Because he had children of his own. I guess, and um, he starts talking to these girls, and it's, like, real nice, and they're just getting to know each other, and they don't know anything about it. They just know that he is the president, I guess, but they don't know much else about it. Um, and so this is the scene where um, Dick actually asked them to be the official dog uh, walkers for the White House, and they're just like, oh, my God, that's so great. Love it. Awesome. Um <laughs> So then you have a scene where um, the girls go back to the bus, and so the bus, um, they were late, 
coming back, which was not great. And so because of this, they missed out on the lunch opportunity for McDonald's. Now they have to go back to school and have a cold lunch. And then all the kids are just like mad at them and being like, you guys suck. And they're like flipping them off and all that kind of stuff. But then Betsy and Arlene are just in their own little world. And um, they're just like laughing at themselves in their seats because like they're the only you know they're each other's best friends and they're they don't care whatever things um so then you see them skip uh merrily uh over to they were skipping to betsy's house and then they're just skipping along to there because she lives a little um differently than arlene does um and then when they get home they're just like uh to betsy's family they're just like guess what happened to us today and then in the middle of this you see that um her uh betsy's brother larry played by devin gummersall who at this point had been known for my so-called life um that television show uh you find out that he actually got drafted um to the vietnam war because this, this is still going on. And um, it really just breaks Betsy's heart, you know. And and then Arlene talks to Betsy about, you know, she's checking to see if she's okay. Uh, but then it's funny because, like, she's like, I just want to I don't know what we're going to do with his, like, horrible dresser and his bed and all that, you know, because I, I wanted his room. Um, which I thought that was kind of funny of just, like, she's only so worried about her brother, but really she just wants his room, which I thought was kind of fun. And then, so some fun facts about this part of the movie, this little batch of scenes. Um, so the director, uh, Andy Fleming and Cheryl Longin, they actually kept their tour badges from the tour that they took um, in the White House. Um, I would too, that'd be kind of cool. Um, and so actually you meet a couple of the other uh, people as well in um, there's a whole scene of kind of these White House aides uh, that you know, Nixon has with him, and they're all kind of, like, talking to each other. You meet Henry Kissinger, who's played by Saul Rubinek. Uh, you meet H.R. Haldeman, like I said. You meet G. Gordon Liddy. Uh, you also meet John Dean, who is played by Jim Brewer in this movie. Um, and so you meet a couple of them in that scene where uh, Dick introduces himself to the girls. Um, but John Dean, the actual real John Dean, uh, read the script for Dick and he said he thought it was cute and funny, which I thought was kind of nice. And he gave the director some other ideas, um, about this since he lived through it. Um, but that's like really cool that John Dean actually read this script and thought it was cute and funny. So in the scene where Betsy and Arlene are going back to the bus, uh, there's this blonde hippie kid uh, that has like longer hair and he's like looking out the window or his head's out the window. That's actually um, Andrew Fleming's nephew named Cole. Um, so, you know, a little bit of nepotism got him into the movie, I guess, but didn't have much of a big role or anything. He actually flips them off, which is kind of funny. Um, so Arlene and Betsy skipping over to Betsy's house was actually shot in Georgetown, which is crazy because I thought this was actually done in Canada, I guess, because I live in Baltimore. So like, you know, I've been to DC a handful of times and I was just like, oh my God, this doesn't look like DC. What are they talking about? But then it actually was shot in Georgetown, but Betsy's actual house was in Toronto and it was actually an art gallery, I believe, which is kind of cool. Um, and they just made it look like a home, I guess. Devin Gummersall throughout this movie is wearing this like weird kind of like sort of fro kind of um, hairstyle. It was very much a wig um, that they they had at the time. Um, so of course it was a wig. Uh, but 
So the girls decide that they want to make uh, these cookies called Hello Dollies, um, and they're going to be making them uh, for the president. Um, and so during this Hello Dolly um, baking session, um, they talk about, you know, um, Arlene talks about how her dad is dead and her mom doesn't really tell her much about him or anything like that. And they're just like, you know, but Betsy has all these ideas of like, oh, maybe he was like married before and he had to like protect his reputation. Or it could even be worse that maybe you meet somebody and you find out that they were actually your father or whatever. And which brings one of the best lines in this movie is just like, she's talking about that. Um, Arlene says something about like, wow, my life's just so dramatic. And then Kirsten Dunn's Betsy, she's just like talking about like, oh my God, maybe this guy could have been your dad or, or maybe you meet somebody who ends up being your dad. And she says, it's called incest, Arlene. And it's against the law. Just like so matter of factly, which I think is really funny. Um... So they make these Hello Dollies, but it's kind of weird because the walnuts that they're putting in there have these, like, little green leaves in them, which, you know, is not really explained. But it's like, oh, okay, well, they just come from the walnut tree. Um, so after they make their Hello Dollies, they go to the White House, but they get turned away, unfortunately. Um, and so this is when um, Michelle Williams uh, delivers the prophetic line, you are a meanie which I really enjoy. Um, and then you have a scene with the girls and Larry who are watching um, some television and Larry's like making some kind of like drug stuff or whatever. I don't know what he's doing, but he's like making some sort of concoction. And then um, the girls are talking about how, you know, hey, we gave the Hello Dollies to mom and dad to, you know, taste, but then they just started giggling and then they went upstairs and they're probably having sex now. Um, and so it's just like really fun so then you have that little scene and then the girls go to school they're sitting in a little auditorium and they're talking about like you know yeah we should go back to the white house and we should you know, go and see dick you know maybe we can ask him to end the war but only if you know uh, betsy wants to end the war because i know that you know she does want her brother larry's room um but you know she still wants to even though she does want his room she would still want her brother to live you know which totally makes sense um so then they go to the White House. They somehow are able to get in now. And um, they try to, I think it's Betsy trying to like flirt with one of the security guards or something. She like takes out her lip gloss and she like lines her lips with it. Um, and then Arlene does her little dog whistle and this like kind of makes a commotion. And then they're like almost escorted out. But then they see uh, that German guy. Hey, German guy. Um who is Henry Kissinger, and they see Henry Kissinger, and they talk to him, and they're like, remember us? Like, we have to talk to Dick about the war. And then she, uh, Henry Kissinger's like, oh, of course, ladies, like, you know, um, I'll take responsibility for this and all this. Um, so Henry Kissinger walks them over to the... Um, to the Oval Office, where they can go see the president. Um, you also get an introduction to um, Rosemary Woods, who was played by Anna Gasteyer, um, in a small role. And so Henry Kissinger takes them over. And then, um, even though Rosemary's like, you know, uh, well, the president has the free, uh, the weight of the free world on his shoulders, like, can't just see anybody. But then Dick just, like, welcomes them into the office, which is, like, really nice. Um and so the girls just sit there and they talk to Dick um, and they give her him the Hello Dollies that they made. And he's just like, they then have a very nice, serious conversation about um, stopping the war and, you know, talking about how, like, you know, um, 
people aren't worried, you know, people at our school aren't worried about communism, but they're worried, you know, but everyone's talking about Mac Washington because, you know, he died over in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, Betsy's brother just got drafted. You know, he's maintaining. Um, and Dick's just talking and talking. I think he's even recording this as well. He's recording some of this as well. He just kind of slyly does that. And so, you know, they're talking, talking. And uh, President Nixon, so Dick, he's like talking about like, um, he's like, oh, I'm feeling lightheaded. And he just like really likes the cookies. And then he just goes, woohoo. And then you just see them laughing. You see the girls laughing. And then Michelle Williams, Arlene, she's like, woohoo. It's just such a great little scene. It's so funny. Um, so then, uh, the girls take checkers, they take him out to do his business, okay, and you get one of the swears in this movie, which is Michelle, uh, Williams, Arlene, she says, would you just look at that shit? Oh, I mean, poo-poo. It's just, like, really silly. Um, but they take him out, uh, they take, and then they, um, are trying to find where the Oval Office is so they can, like, give the dog back, and, uh, they end up finding the Shred Room, Okay, and the shred room is where they were shredding documents and they had money and all this. And they were like, who are you? What is, what's going on? You know, and um, pretty much like um, they have no idea what just happened. But then they have, I believe it was Haldeman kind of comes, <laughs> comes across them and they're just like, oh, no, what the heck? Um, and there's also a really fun little scene. So like they're walking and they're like, I think we have to go right. And then. Or it was like, I think we have to go left. Um, and they end up turning left, but it was because they couldn't turn right. And then literally Arlene's like, well, it's because you couldn't go right. And so I just thought that was kind of silly. Um, but they find the shred room. Haldeman sees them there. Be like, oh, God, no, no. And so then they just run back um, all freaked out. And they're just like, you know, oh, no, like we we didn't mean to see this place or whatever, you know. Um, and they're just like freaking out. Like the girls are just freaking out. <laughs> So a little bit about these uh, scenes that I just was talking about. So um, you'll notice uh, during the scene with Larry and the girls, there's these television um, commercials kind of showing. So there's like a cocoa, there's a cocoa puffs ad, I believe. There was also um, a another ad with like I can't believe I ate it all, and then there was like a television show um, that they had. So this was actually all stuff from the time in the seventies. Andrew Fleming actually said that I don't, if he ever does, he has done directorial stuff since, but that he would not even really want to try to do that again because it was just too much of a headache um, to actually get like lawyers and stuff to like say it's okay to use this and all. It's a good attention to detail, if you will, but it also, you know, it was one of these things where um, he just wouldn't want to do it again because he, uh, it just was too much of a headache, which I can imagine it is. So actually when the girls are sitting uh, in the auditorium um, that they are supposed to be, they actually, uh, it was supposed to be like this memorial service for Mac Washington, which Mac Washington, if you're not familiar, um, was a soldier that went over to Vietnam and died. And I guess it's to be assumed that he had went to their school or something. Um, and so, you know, it was supposed to be a scene like that, but that ended up getting cut because it kind of brought brought it down a little bit, you know, so, um, they still have that part of it where, you know, they're talking about, like, we have to go see Dick again, we have to talk to him about the war and all, um, but the context of, um, 
what they're sitting at in the auditorium was a memorial service for this person, that, that whole thing kind of got cut. But Michelle Williams, Arlene, she does uh, bring that back up in their conversation with Dick, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, when they come up to the, uh, the White House gates, um, there's a song playing, um, that you may recognize. It's, um, Mar Lady Marmalade, which was done by, I think, LaBelle or something like that back in the seventies. It then got remade in the early two thousands with Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink. Uh, that's the one I knew about, but this version is also really good. But actually, this song had not been released at the time of the time period of the movie. Uh, the song works, though. like um, So it's a bit of an anachronism. Uh, but it still works, though. Um, Andrew Fleming was like wanting to find a song that would make sense for that scene. And Lady Marmalade just seemed to work, even though... Uh, in the events of the movie, the song hadn't even been released yet, but it still worked. And then, um, also, uh, so this is kind of a, a going into another bit of scenes I'm going to talk about soon, but, uh, it's funny because even with, uh, the pot cookies, so, like, the, you know, we end up finding out that the Hello Dollies had weed in them, but the thing is, is that, uh, if there actually were cookies that were, like, you know, um, laced with weed or whatever, they wouldn't actually hit you that quickly, so it's not like, um... Nixon would be feeling lightheaded, <laughs> just like automatically after eating a Hello Dolly. It would take a little bit of time for it to hit. Um, and that also comes up in another scene um, when uh, Dick is talking to um, talking to Russia, the people in Russia, about, you know, stopping their occupation there. And, uh, and the world's saved from that because they have these Hello Dolly cookies. Um, but yeah, that's not really how pot cookies or pop brownies work like that, you know? So... That's just something as well. Next bit of scenes, we see Dick and the girls walking through the Oval Office, or they walking through the White House, and um, Dick makes a agreement with them that they can become secret youth advisors to the president. But that means they got to keep everything hush hush of what they see going on at the White House. So that means they can't talk about that little room that they just found. You know, paper mache. It was actually paper mache that they were making. It's a hobby of his. Um, and so you see them becoming secret youth advisors and then you, um, come back to Betsy's house and you see, uh, Larry sitting on the couch and his mom is like pouring him champagne or something. And he's all like, do you think it's really over? And then the mom's like, you know, well, he is the president on the TV. Like, you know, it's got to mean something. And so Betsy comes home and she finds out that the war has now ended in Vietnam and that Larry is actually not going to be drafted which is great. And then Larry's all like, she's just mad because her dreams of being an only child were, you know, won't be fulfilled and she won't get my room or whatever. And then <laughs> Betsy's like, I shouldn't even be telling you this, but the only reason that you're not going to war is because me and Arlene asked Dick to stop the war. You should be thanking me. And it's like super fun. Um, and she's just like, you know, being so serious about it. Uh, then the girls go to school and they talk about being secret youth advisors. So Betsy in her like debate or like current events class or something is talking about it. And then you have uh, Michelle Williams talking about how she uh, is a secret youth advisor as well. I love Michelle Williams scene in this because she's just like, it's fun being a secret youth advisor um, because that means that I'm trusted with sensitive national security issues or whatever. And it's just really fun. Um, 
And then the teacher in there is like really mean to, to Arlene, but she doesn't care. And I love Kirsten Dunst just talking about, you know, hey, we're making these Helly Dolly cookies and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they just end up, you know, being friends with Dick, you know, and they go to the White House and, you know, they're going to be walking checkers and all that. And they're these secret youth advisors. Um, so they teach Dick about the peace sign, you know, like, because he's like, well, what's that mean? And they're just like, peace. And he's like, oh, okay. And then you see him getting onto a plane and then um, you see him do the peace sign, which was something taken from real life that you would see. Um you also see Arlene taking all of her photos down um, from her wall for Bobby Sherman and putting up wall um, pictures of Dick, which I think is kind of funny. Um, and she just like has this wall with Richard Nixon on it, which I'm just like, this is so silly. Uh, then you have a scene where Arlene actually puts in contacts for the first time, and you see her without her glasses. She's been wearing glasses this whole time. Um, but she now has contacts, so she, you know, can, like, impress Dick and look pretty for him. Um, then the girls actually come in on uh, a meeting with Dick and some of the people from uh, <clears throat> Russia, because there was an occupation in Russia going on there. And so they have... Um, the scene where they give these Hello Dolly cookies to the people, and they give them to Dick, he gives them to uh, the guys from Russia, and then world peace happens, which is just great, and they start singing a song from the musical Hello Dolly, which I think is just really silly. Um, these, like, this guy probably putting a Russian accent on or whatever, he's just, like, singing... <laughs> Hello, Dolly, in the middle of the Oval Office, and then Dick's like, I think you just um, declared peace in Russia or whatever, and I just thought that was so weird and hilarious. So you see that part. Then you see uh, Arlene in bed. She's dreaming about Richard Nixon and her. Uh, Nixon, like, he rides in on a horse, and she's on a beach, and he's just like, Arlene, I want to, you know... Um, I want to run away with you. And she's just like, well, what about Pat? And he's like, she'll understand. Um, and they just have this like nice little romantic, like, like weird dream where it's like, they're like spinning around in circle. And then like, um, there's like a sand castle of like the white house or something. It's just like so weird and silly. And so then you have that dream sequence. Then you have, um, Betsy, um, and Arlene at the roller skating rink, um, and they're roller skating. And you start to also see that Betsy's noticing that Arlene is, like, into Richard Nixon, that she's into Dick. Um, and they go roller skating, where you hear the wonderful, um, it is a song that was on Allie McBeal. It was, uh, Hooked on a Feeling is what it was, by Blue Suede or something. Um, and it's such a good song, and they just, like, are roller skating to it. Um, and so you find out that, um, you know, Betsy knows about, like, you might just want, you just might, you might as well just say it to me, just say it. And then Arlene just says, like, I love Dick. And then everyone at the roller skating rink is just, like, laughing at them and all that. <laughs> um, which I just think is really fun. Because, again, these two are the, you know, they're friends. They're each other's best friend. And so, um, you get to see their, their relationship. And then you have an introduction to um, a photo album that uh, Arlene has of Dick, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So some fun facts about this uh, bit of scenes. Um, so you got, like I said, pot cookies do not really hit you instantly like that. So, but the world was saved though. You know, the the you know Russia was 
peace in Russia was declared um, with the United States. So that's always really nice. So the roller rank that we're talking about is that uh, it was in, I believe, Canada. Um, it was actually a real roller skating rink. Um, and so some of the extras at this roller skating rink, um, they didn't seem to know, like, who was, like, important people on set. So, like, you know, Andrew Fleming had kind of a hard time, like, wrangling them and, like, making sure that, like, extras knew, like, what they had to be doing, um, because it was all on a skating rink. Um, but I thought this was kind of weird, or it was kind of mean, actually. So, like, some of the extras on this, um in this in this scene uh, were really just rude to Kirsten Dunst to Michelle Williams. They would, like, go up and skate to them and just say mean things to them because at the time, Michelle Williams was on Dawson's Creek, which was, like, a really big teen show at the time. So they would just, like, some people would just, like, skate after her and be like, I hate you on that show. <laughs> like, weird. And then Kirsten Dunst just being an actress, like, being a teen actress at the time, you know, people are maybe jealous of her or, like, they didn't like her movies that she was in or whatever, and they're just saying these mean things to them, which I thought was so... That was kind of fun to find out about. I was like, oh my god, that's so rude. How dare they? <laughs> um, and also, the contacts... There were actually soft contacts at the time of the movie, or at the time period that this movie is taking place in. Um, so soft contacts were an actual thing. Um at least that's what Andrew Fleming and Cheryl Longin said um, on their commentary track. So it would make sense for Arlene to have those contacts in um, if she wanted to, you know, improve her eyesight. The girls in um, Arlene's room and Arlene is showing Betsy her photo album of Dick. Here's cartoon Dick. And here are some newspaper clippings about him as a younger man. And it was just really fun to see that they have this little photo album. We then have Jello at the Job's residence, and this is where you find out about um, Woodward and Bernstein uh, on the TV. They're talking about, you know, um, Betsy's parents are talking a little bit about them. But they also notice on the TV, Betsy and Arlene, they realize that, because um, the report is talking about how G. Gordon Liddy got in trouble, um, and they finally see, like, oh my god, wait, it's that guy. It's that guy from, you know, it's that guy that we saw that one time at the White House. What was he doing there? That's so weird. So then um, the girls actually call Dick in the middle of the night while he's watching This American Life or something, while he's also, like, eating food. And uh, they call Dick. Randomly, they just call the White House in the office. And they call dick about liddy and they're like so what's happening with that liddy guy um because i saw him at i lived the watergate and i saw him there and then i saw him at the white house the next day and then now he's going to jail and so this kind of makes dick suspicious he's asking like you know oh is arlene is there anything i can do for you or your family and she's like no um and she's just like, i have to go good night and then she just says like oh my sweet prince um, and so then the next day, um, they go to the Oval Office, they meet John Dean. This is when Arlene asks him what, uh, who he is, and he says, I'm the White House's unpresent lawyer. And then Arlene's just asking, like, why does the president need a lawyer? And then John Dean's like, your guess is as good as mine, pretty much. Um, and so then um, they get the leash from Rosemary for checkers and then everyone's like gone and like, you know, everyone's not in the, um, the office anymore. 
And they end up um, finding, because Alicia got caught in a drawer of Rosemary's, and they find this tape recorder. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I don't know what this is, but, like, you know, maybe you should tell him how you really feel. Like, maybe you should tell Dick how you feel about him through this tape recorder. And so... Um, Arlene starts a little message with just like, hi, Mr. President. Uh, we just love that, you know, we get to walk your dog for you and be your secret youth advisors and not much else. So here's Arlene. And so Arlene just like (laughs) pours her heart out to him and he's like, I love you. Um, I know that we can't ever really be together because you're married and all, but I have this song that I want to sing by Olivia Newton-John, who unfortunately just passed away, like a day or so ago, which is very sad. Um, but, um, she starts to sing while Betsy goes and like takes checkers out for the walk and all that. Um, (laughs) Michelle Williams, Arlene is just like serenading him with like, I honestly love you by Olivia Newton-John. Um, and it's just such a silly scene and she's like talking to him. Betsy comes back and, um, She's like, oh my god, you've been on for like 18 and a half minutes. What are you talking about to him? And uh, Darlene's just like, personal stuff. And so they listen. Um, so, you know, she stops her her recording. And they listen back to the tape. And they start to hear different parts of the tape. And they're like, oh, well, I must have just like rewinded it a little bit too much. And they start to hear about like you know, just crazy stuff like, oh, they're hiding some guy in South America or something. And then they hear uh, on the tape, they hear Richard Nixon being mean to the dog. And then they start to lose all faith. And so then Rosemary comes back and I think the, um, I think Rosemary comes back into the office or Dick comes back to the office. And um, you just see on their faces that they're just like, They've lost so much faith from hearing all of this. Um, And then they're just like, I gotta go. Like, we have to go. Um, And so then you see Arlene running on, like, the National Mall. Like, right out where, like, the Washington Monument is and stuff like that. Um, Which, I guess they actually did shoot in D.C. So... A little fun facts about this batch of scenes was that um, the recorder in Rosemary's office or in her little desk um, was actually accurate to the time um, that the movie takes place. Um, But it actually would have been like way more cumbersome to actually get a recording because it would have just sounded crazy. I believe I Honestly Love You by Olivia Newton-John. I don't know if that... I don't think that song had actually come out quite yet in the middle of this. Because if we're assuming that this is supposed to be around 72 to 74 around there or something. um, I don't know if that song had come out quite yet. But, you know, apparently it did. So we have the girls who sit down to confront Dick about this tape that they found. um, And we... I don't think you've been completely honest with us. And then Richard Nixon's all like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, it's just about that Woodward and Bernstein and, you know, those um, ungrateful muckraking bastards or something like that is what he uses. And they're just like, actually, it was just about the dog. Um, And Betsy says, you act like you care about him, but you don't. Um, But then they're like, but you know what? Now that I, now that you say that, you know, people say that you lied. And then they confront him pretty much. And they're just like, you kick checkers. 
you're prejudiced and you have a potty mouth. And then this just like makes Dick uh, go crazy on them and just like chase him out of their office. And then they just go around screaming. Um, but this just kind of fractures their relationship with Dick. Um, and so then you see Arlene running away. Betsy's going after her and Arlene's just so mad at herself. Cause she's like, how could I have loved him? How could I have liked him? And then Betsy's all like, you know, Dick was really important to me too. But you know, now I've realized that, you know, you can't let Dick run your life. And then it just is all loud. <laughs> There's like this marching band playing or whatever. And it was just like, do you mind? We're trying to have a private conversation. Which I thought was really funny. Then Arlene goes home and she throws away all her dick memories and like she burns his photos that she put up and, and all that kind of stuff. Because she's mad and they're going through a little breakup. Um, and so that they weren't even in a relationship, but whatever. Uh, then you see a scene where the girls are at home and Larry gets busted. Ooh. He gets busted at the movie Deep Throat. Ooh. Because that's a porno movie and that's not good. So, um, so Larry gets busted and then the girls go upstairs because the parents tell them to go upstairs. And so, um, they decide, and, um, Arlene doesn't seem to know what deep throat means. And so <laughs> Betsy literally like whispers in her ear, um, what exactly it is like, you know, that's where the woman puts the man's penis in the blah, 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 and all this. And it's just like, she takes like a good five to seven seconds. Harleen is just like thinking and posturizing about it. And then they just go to the window and yell out the window while Crocodile Rock by Elton John is just like, um, over them. And it's really funny. It's just like so silly. Cause, but it does seem like kind of like, uh, what would happen with, with girls? You know, they're just like, oh my God, what? But then they decide to do some prank calls. And so they decide to prank call the Washington Post for whatever reason. Um, because they find out about Woodward and Bernstein and be like, oh, we should call them. And, you know, we should, you know, we should prank call them. So they prank call um, Bob Woodward uh, and he answers. And uh, at one point it was supposed to be like, um, there was like this British accent that you know um arlene puts on and to get them through and they're just like we know stuff about dick i mean the president and they end up talking about the creep list and you know they talk about how they have that and um they're just talking about like you know yeah like he was really cool at one point but then he just like got all weird and crazy and so then Woodward and Bernstein, they decide like, hey, you know, like we need to meet you. Can you be, can you meet with us, you know, soon? And they're like, now's not a good time. But like, hey, you know what? Like you can meet us at this parking garage um, near where Garfinkel's is and we can meet you there. Uh, and they're like, okay, cool. Got it. Sounds good. Um, and so then when they hang up the phone before they um, hang up, you know, Woodward asks like, what name can I use for you um, so that I know who you are? And then they're just like, deep throat, deep throat. Um, and then they're just like, he's like, okay, that's fine. And then they just make fun of Larry by like calling him, come here, deep throat boy. And they're just like making fun of him. They're making fun of her brother. Like, it's just so silly. Um, so we'll move into some little fun facts about this batch of scenes. So they confront Dick about the tape and everything. And, um, so 
little fun fact about the wardrobe of this movie, the costume designer actually found this um, these pieces in a warehouse um, in St. Louis. And a lot of these were actual clothes from the 70s, which is why they look kind of authentic. Uh, it does look kind of weird now that we look at it, but like this was actually authentic clothing. Um, the awkward thing about these clothes, though, is that they were really, um, they're made out of, you know, polyester and all this kind of stuff. And that really holds um, odors a lot. And that also is just gets really hot. And they were like shooting this in the hot times in DC. And as somebody who lives near that area, I mean, it can get hot when they're doing stuff. Like it can get hot in the summer and even the spring to a point when it's getting into summer. So, you know, it, it must've been horrible. And then also some of the extras and some of these scenes because they had to be period extras, you know, they had to be put in these clothes. I mean, some of these people even like passed out kind of because it was so hot, but that makes total sense. Um, so I, as I said before, the Living Newton John song wasn't released at the time of the time period of this movie, but anachronism doesn't really matter. Whatever. Um, Arlene running was actually shot in front of the actual white house. Um, it was actually shot in DC uh, Garfinkel's, which is a place that they talk about in um, this movie, is was an actual department store. It closed in 1990, um, but it was a real metro, D.C. metro area department store. Um, it was actually also uh, referenced in All the President's Men as well. So it was a real place, actually. And like I said, this D.C. shoot was shot during a heat wave. So... Um, you know, it must have been horrible to, like, shoot because you're getting up to, like, a hundred-something degrees and it's, like, horrible and you want to die um, because it's so hot. Oh, the girl screaming out of the window was shot at, like, 3 a.m. And the neighbors were just like, what is this? What is going on here? And so then the director and the writer, so Andrew Fleming and Cheryl Longin, they actually visited um, the Washington Post to kind of see what it was like um, because they just had, like, an empty office building that they were able to use for their set for the Washington Post. Um, but there was that. Bruce... Uh, McCullough and Will Ferrell actually met on this set of Dick. I don't think they knew each other before that. And then it's kind of a fun fact, but then uh, one of Will Ferrell's next films was actually Superstar, which was based off of um, a SNL skit with Molly Shannon. Um, I don't know much about that movie, actually, but he, um, Will Ferrell was in it, and Bruce McCullough actually directed that. So that was kind of another fun little thing that they had. And the role of Ben Bradley, so Ben Bradley was like Woodward and Bernstein's boss at the Washington Post, and he is a character in um, All the President's Men, uh, but the role of Ben Bradley was actually offered to the real guy. <laughs> Andrew Fleming was like, hey, we want if, if you want to, you can be the real guy. Um, so Ben Bradley turned it down, though, but he did give his blessing to the, to the production, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and Washington Post actually gave this uh, movie a good review after they uh, had you know, seen it, and the critic who was covering it at the time gave it a good review, which I thought was kind of fun. Girls um, meeting Woodward and Bernstein at the parking garage. So they're really just meeting Bob Woodward at first. Um, and they're dressed in these like little weird spy like trench coats, which I thought was really cute. Um, and so Bernstein actually just like shows up on his bike. And um, Woodward's kind of mad at him because he's like, this is my story. Like, what are you doing? Um, which was kind of their relationship in real life, I think. But um, 
So the girls meet uh, Woodward and Bernstein. They tell them about this, um, what was going on with Dick, um, and that they did have the creep list, but uh, unfortunately the dog ate it. And then Woodward and Bernstein are just, like, mad about it. And so um, this is also where we get the line, um, how old are you? And then <laughs> Betsy's like, 23. And Woodward is like, is that your combined ages? And then Betsy's just like, there's no need to be snotty. Which I just think is really funny. Um, but yeah, so Woodward and Bernstein, they're like, oh my god, these girls, like, what the heck? Like, why we don't have any proof of anything? They're just talking about this, yada yada. It, they're just like, this is a bust, whatever. Um, and we could have gotten in trouble for sneaking out like this. Um, but then you have... That scene ends, the girls are now leaving school, and it seems like they are being followed um, by the quote-unquote plumbers. So then you have the Ben Bradley scene, um, where he's talking to Woodward and Bernstein about this story. Um, you need to get solid evidence on this. So then the, um, the girls and Woodward and Bernstein talk over the phone um, while Betsy's or no, while Arlene's mother, played by Terry Garr, uh, is making their little TV dinners or something. And they're on the phone with Woodward and Bernstein, and they're just like, you know, we can't really talk right now, da-da-da. Um, and they actually, um, Woodward and Bernstein, they have this thing of like, we'll just say some names to you, and then if you don't say anything after um, the count of ten, you know, we'll assume that these are the people that are on the list. And so they do that, and then Woodward and Bernstein are like, oh yeah, like we got this, great, wonderful. Um, and so they run a story where they talk about, you know, what had happened and who was involved with this, but it ends up that that story was actually Butkus um, and wasn't actually accurate. So then you see the girls at the library, and you see the Woodward and Bernstein, they're in the stacks of the library, and they're like, you little pieces of shit are the problem because, you know, we ran the story and now, you know, they're denying it and now we look like schmucks, you know, and, and all this. And then Betsy's just like, you guys are the big shot reporters. Like, can't you do anything for yourselves? Um, and the Bruce McCullough just says, like, you're ruining my life. And I love the, my one favorite quote of this is Arlene talking about how, like, they have a very important uh Report, school report on turquoise jewelry due in two days, and we can't find any books about it. Um, I just thought it was such a funny little scene and little, like, um, little line. It's so weird. But anyway, um, so they got them at the library, and the girls are just, like, over it. They're just like, what the heck? And then Arlene comes home, and she sees that her mom has suddenly just got this hot boyfriend that she met. Um, and so it's like, okay, like, what the heck? And then the boyfriend says, you know, it's nice to meet you, Arlene. And then Arlene's like, how do you know my name? And she's wearing, like, a, a shirt that has Arlene embroidered on it, which I thought was really fun. So you have the suspe suspicious boyfriend that, you know, Arlene's mom gets. And then you have Betsy's family goes out and they come back home and their house has been broken into. But weirdly enough, nothing has really been, like, disturbed or anything the only thing that was stolen was the Hello Dolly recipe, which is, like, really weird. 
So we'll move into some fun facts about this part of the show or this part of the movie. Um, so we got, I'm looking through my notes. So very much like the girls meeting Woodward and Bernstein, um, in the, all the presidents met, it was just Woodward who went to go see Deep Throat at a very similar parking garage. So that's obviously like a nod to the movie, um, it seems like. And as I stated, um, the Ben Bradley scene where he's talking to Woodward and Bernstein, that was actually offered to the real Ben Bradley, but he turned it down. Um, the girls and Woodward and Bernstein talking on the phone, that is a direct reference to All the President's Men because similar thing kind of happens in that movie um, where Woodward and Bernstein do that and they run a story and it ends up being wrong. Funny enough, the... the um, the girls and Woodward and Bernstein at the library, the line, um, we have an important school report on turquoise jewelry due in two days. That was actually a really hard line for Cheryl Longin to like um, make, I guess. And so she was like racking her brain on what kind of line she could use for that. And then Arlene's mom getting a boyfriend. So the way that she says that he met um, her was that, you know, she had this, um, chocolate, excuse me, my chocolate or my peanut butter is in your chocolate or something, which I think she says penis butter in the actual movie, which I thought was really funny. It's really weird, but that was actually a reference to a commercial at the time with Faris's peanut butter cups, where it was like, Hey, you got my chocolate and your peanut butter and you got my peanut butter and my chop and your chocolate. Um, so then Betsy, you know, she's reeling from her, you know, house being broken into, but she thought it was really weird that like, you know, for some reason, um, nothing was stolen except for, uh, the Hello Dolly's recipe so that her and Arlene are on the phone. They're talking about like, I don't know what's going on, but then they start to suspect that there's some weird things going on. Betsy starts to, you know, suspect like, oh, maybe we're being watched or whatever. But she doesn't say that. She actually runs over to Arlene's house, her apartment, and she goes into her room and she turns on the um, the stereo or the phonograph or record player or whatever, uh, which is playing Locomotion, which I thought was great. Um, and she's saying, like, we're being bugged, we're being bugged. Uh, and then Terry Gar just comes in and she's just like, what are you guys doing? And be like, oh, we're just singing this new song. Like, we're being bugged, the White House, you know. And <laughs> Arlene's mom is just like, I, I know something's going on here. I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> and so they're just like freaked out and just like, what the heck's going on? So then Woodward and Bernstein call Arlene's house. Arlene's just like, nope, I don't, I, we don't want the subscription. We prefer the news on TV. But then it's just getting to her and it's just getting to them. And they're just like, oh my God, he's trying to make me crazy. Dick is trying to make me crazy. Um, so then the girls like go outside and they're getting chased by the plumbers and they're like running through the streets and they're just like, Oh no. And so they're just like, you know, running through and then they're getting chased by this van and they just like go into this alley and they jump to the side and they fall into some trash. And then Arlene's just mad. And she's just like, I don't know why they keep just treating us like teenage, uh, stupid teenage girls. And then Betsy just says like, well, we are stupid teenage girls. And then she's like, no, Betsy, we're human beings and American citizens. And four score and seven years ago, our forefathers did something. I don't know, but all I know is Dick's ass is grass. Um, and it's just so funny. And it's now deciding that like, we're going to get even with this guy. 
So what they end up doing is they go over to H.R. Haldeman's house. They see this young man by the name of Chip outside, played by a young Ryan Reynolds. Uh, at this time, he would have been on Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place, I think. And I, before that, he had been on uh, a show called Hillside in Canada, which was on Nickelodeon in the early 90s. Um, it was called 15, was what it was called in the U.S. But... um that's Ryan Reynolds. He's washing this car outside of Haldeman's house. And then Arlene's like, we got to get in there. So like, you know, Betsy's like, okay, I'll distract him. So she goes up to him and distracts him. She's like, hey, remember me from the homecoming dance? And then they're just looking at each other. Him, Her and Chip are just looking at each other. And they're just like, okay. And she's just like, do you want to make out? And then he's like, absolutely. So he goes into the Haldeman's house. So at this point, Betsy thinks that this must be Haldeman's son. And so they're going to like, you know, kind of distract him so that Arlene can get in the house. and They can get these tapes. You got to get these tapes back. Right. And so you got, um, <laughs> you got Arlene, you got Betsy and Chip up in uh, quote unquote Chip's room. And so they're there kind of making out a little bit. Arlene um, gets into the house. Betsy goes into the bathroom um, and is like checking herself. And then she cries a little bit and then she's checking herself again. Um, and she's just like, Arlene, get in here. So Arlene comes into the house um, and then, you know, um, <laughs> Betsy's just like distracting the boy with like um, <laughs> making out with him and like putting her hair in her face, in his face. And, um, He's, like, doing a beer bong, which is really... It's a weird-looking beer bong, too. It's, like, this, like, on a medical, like, stand or something where you'd put an IV. It's really interesting. Um, but Arlene breaks into the house. Um, and while she's there, Haldeman actually comes home. She hides underneath the desk. And uh, in this scene, you actually find out that um, Haldeman... He gets a phone call and he learns about John's Dean's resignation. And he's really realizing that, like, all of this is falling apart and all of this is just, like, um, coming undone. And he's just like, well, these prisons nowadays, like, they're like Club Med, you know? And so, because he realizes he's like, oh, no, I'm screwed. I'm fucked um, with this whole thing because he, he knows where it's going to go. The shit has finally hit the fan. Um, so this is a pre-big break Ryan Reynolds person. Like I said, he was on a television show um, and he'd been on little TV things here and there, but this was one of his first kind of film roles he did. It was one of his first few. Um, and you see him burp in the scene and he could actually burp a bunch, which was kind of crazy. I thought that was really interesting. I was like, wow, then that's, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, apparently Ryan Reynolds could just burp on command for a bunch, which was kind of, kind of fun. So the being bugged, um, conversation was a reference to all the president's men. There is a scene in there where Woodward, I think, realizes that, um, they're being bugged, like the phones are being bugged. And there's, like, a whole scene of, like, him and Woodward having to, like, talk to each other through a typewriter, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. That wasn't really a reference to anything. Although I do think Betsy running to Arlene's was actually a reference to Dustin Hoffman in All the President's Men running through the city a little bit. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, but this gets to my little fun fact from earlier. So um, at the time of filming the scene with Dave Foley... Uh, being Haldeman and, um, you know, Betsy and Arlene breaking into Haldeman's house and everything, because um, that's where the tapes were that, you know, 
uh, Richard Nixon wanted to protect so much, he gave them to Haldeman. Um, so there was actually an unfortunate event with the actor Phil Hartman. He was uh, murdered by his uh, wife at the time, and it was really, really sad. Um, it happened in 1998, May of 1998. Um, and so the scene where they're shooting that house uh, was actually a kind of really hard day for Dave Foley because if you don't know, Dave Foley was on a show called News Radio back on NBC, I believe, in the 90s. And Dave Foley was on it with Phil Hartman, so he worked with him. Um, and then also Kirsten Dunst had worked with Phil Hartman on two separate occasions. She had been his daughter in like two movies she was in. So it was a very hard day on that set where, you know, that was a very sad moment. But that's also where I got the idea of like, Whenever this scene was done, it was done around probably spring of 98 because that all happened around that time. So it's a very sad uh, moment. So then you have um, Betsy and Chip. They're in this room and Chip accidentally, he sits on a pin or like a button of Nixon. And he's just like, oh, the fascist. And be like, Betsy's like, well, wait, he's your dad's boss. And be like, my dad's like, my dad's not Haldeman. Like, what are you talking about? I am Chip, like Haldeman's son's room, um, Haldeman's son's roommate. And she's just like, you know, so you don't remember me though? And be like, funny, because we never met. I just thought you were cute, you know? I just saw you on the street and thought you were cute. And so um, you see that, like, uh, Betsy comes downstairs with Chip, and then Arlene is, like, trying to, like, get out of the house, but Haldeman's there, and Haldeman, like, sees these two, and Betsy's just, like, hiding her face with her hair, and she's just like, no, you can't see me, and he's just like, who are you? And then he's like, aren't you the dog walkers? Um, and then Betsy and Arlene just, like, scream. They run out of his house with the tapes in hand. Um, and then Haldeman just says, like, get back here, you little bitches. And then they're just like, ah! And then they just go, um, they do the motion of just kiss my ass or whatever. It's so funny. And they run away. Um, so then the girls um, have dictated the transcripts of the recordings. Um, and they give them to Woodward and Bernstein. Um, because... Betsy can type 30 words a minute, um, which is great. <laughs> so good for her, I guess. And so um, they, but what they want to keep the tapes for themselves because that's their souvenir. Um, but here's the transcripts of what we have. And uh, then this kind of helps break open what actually happened at Watergate. And they're able to run this story in the Washington Post. Uh, we then discovered Nixon at home, and he realizes what was on the 18 and a half minutes that were deleted out of the Watergate tapes, um, and it was actually just Arlene, like, serenading him and, like, professing her love to him, um, and she's just like, and he's just like, oh god, like, you know, a 15-year-old, they'll crucify me for this, um, caving in on itself, and... Then you see uh, the girls back at Betsy's house, and then the Hello Dolly recipe is back. They're like, wait, like, the Hello Dolly's recipe is back. Like, you know, we thought that was stolen. Where'd they ever find it? And then Larry tells them, like, it's on every condensed milk can, dummy. And so then you they learn that the Hello Dolly's that they were making were actually laced with weed, um, which they didn't realize before. And then Larry says, like, whoa. Um, and then they're like, no, the president ate those. And then Larry's just like oh, maybe that's why he was so paranoid, um, which I thought was kind of funny. And then you have the Rick's Nixon resignation um, where the girls are at the mall and they're at, like, Sears or something. And 
Betsy's like, come on, Arlene, like, you have to watch this. And it's literally Nixon resigning in front of the United States people on TV. And it's like a really big moment in history. And Michelle Williams, I think Arlene says, like, oh, it'll be different now. And then Arlene, and Betsy's all like, you know, they'll never lie to us again. And then you go into this song from Carly Simon, You're So Vain, and you see the girls cutting up the American flag um, to make these outfits. And then um, Arlene brings up the idea of, like, isn't it illegal to cut up the American flag? Um, or no, Betsy does. Betsy says, isn't it illegal to cut up the American flag? And then, you know, Arlene's like, not if you sew back together. And so during this whole scene, you see the girls making these costumes, these like um, these outfits out of the American flag. You then see um, Richard Nixon actually leaving on the helicopter. Um, the press is there. They're taking photos of everything. Um, and then you see him take off in the helicopter, fly away. And he's flying away into abject, you know, um, despair because he was found out. Um, and then... You see that, you know, the girls are um, in these outfits, which I love the line that Kirsten Dunst, when they're looking in the mirror at themselves, and she just says, we look so fantastic. Um, and so then you have them have this little banner that they were working on, and they're waiting until, like, the helicopter comes over the, um, the roof of where they're at on their little deck, and then they hold this um, banner up on both sides, and it pretty much just says, you suck, comma, dick. Love, deep throat. Um, and it's kind of that little last bit of, like, ha, gotcha, you know, like, and they're just, like, um, blowing him kisses and just be like, ha, see a tricky dick? Like, look, you suck, dick. Like, and it's just really funny and wholesome and great. And then Richard Nixon just, like, flips them off. And then they just, he flies into, you know, into the future. And so then you find out this is the end of the movie. You find out um, what happened with, you know, these folks getting convicted of the crimes and then Gerald Ford pardoned um, Richard Nixon of what he did. Um, Larry, uh, Betsy's brother, apparently helped invent quaaludes and made millions of dollars from this. And then uh, from an investment with Larry, uh, Betsy and Arlene were actually able to open a roller skating disco, which is really wonderful. And then the end of the movie is the end credits, and then Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst just, like, skating in the Oval Office while Abba's Dancing Queen is just, like, playing. And then the rest of the credits is... Um, actually a cover of Dancing Queen from Sixpence None the Richer. Um, and then that's Dick. And then that's the movie. So a little bit of fun facts for this film, uh, this ending part. So this uh, ending song was actually not going to be Carly Simon. It was going to be a Led Zeppelin song. But the song just really didn't work. But Carly Simon, um, they decided, okay, we'll use this song. And she actually did like let them use the song, which was great. The song was actually going to be used in another part of the movie. Um, so that's kind of an interesting fact. And so then... Uh, the You Suck Dick uh, ending, so you'll notice um, if you have the Blu-ray or if you have an HD version of this film, um, you'll notice on Michelle Williams' back, um, you can tell that like she's covering up a tattoo on her lower back, and I guess 
maybe they didn't cover it as well as they should have, or you know, it's kind of hard to do that when you're you know filming a movie. It can just show up sometimes. Um, but she is covering a tattoo that's on her lower back, and yeah, and then Sixpence Down the Retro did their little cover of Dancing Queen. Uh, they were known at the time uh, for being the people who did the Kiss Me song from uh, She's All That, which is another fun little '90s teen movie. And so that's the movie Dick. So I really think this movie is such a fun little little gem uh, from 1999. Uh, the hilarious performances throughout it. Uh, it's not gut-busting funny, but I think it's funny on a different level. Um, and I do think it is a fun little kind of reimagining of what happened with Watergate, you know? Um, I wouldn't say it is completely historically accurate all of it but um there are little parts of it it reminds me of something like um you know even Forrest Gump a little bit where like there's these historical events that are happening but they're condensed in a way where you're able to kind of digest them and take them in which I thought was really cool I also think it's really funny that this movie came out months after Bill Clinton had been impeached for his wrong, you know, for his misgivings in the White House with Monica Lewinsky and that whole scandal and everything. And I think this movie is just a fun little satire about like, you know, well, they'll never, it'll all be different and they'll never lie to us again. And, and then months before this movie came out, you know, that's exactly what happened. Like Bill Clinton said, he didn't have sexual relations with that woman, but he did. And, you know, then he got impeached for it, you know, and, and then we even had, you know, with like Donald Trump in our office, you know, we had scandals all the time when he was in office going on. And, you know, it was just a, uh, it, it, this kind of movie, it's, it's interesting to look at it and be like, you know, oh, remember those days where Nixon was just in office and we had this, this thing to deal with, but like, you know, oh, the good old days kind of a thing, um, which I just thought was really, it's really cool for a movie like this, for sure. And so that brings us to the end of this episode. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give me any movie recommendations, if you want to give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, I am open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle. And on Twitter, it is Cult Cine Circle. Um, on those platforms, I tend to post when an episode has gone live, what the next episode's going to be, and you can engage with me on there if you'd like. You can also follow me on Letterboxd. Um, my Letterboxd is Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, and I go on there and I uh, log the movies that I watch, I put up reviews of movies that I liked or didn't like or whatever, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, so you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or whatever podcatcher you like using. So, you know, give me a five stars, give me a good review. It helps the show get seen by people. Um, and again, I thank you so much for listening. And remember, there's always time for Hello Dolly. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.